Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by sportsbookreview.com, helping bettors become better since 1999. Today's episode is called, If You No Longer Go For The Gap, then you have sensibly decided that the move was unlikely to result in a clean pass. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by Matt Two Rumpets. How's it going there, Matt? Oh, I was working right up until the time we went live, so my head is gradually catching up with the rest of my body here. How are you doing? See, I'm so relaxed right now. I've just had one of those life-affirming weekends where, you know, just enough beer, just enough friends, maybe a bit too much family, and, you know, just a bit of fun and karaoke. Since you ask, it was Shakira, and I nailed it. Wow. I don't know what to say to that, actually. You have left me speechless for the first time ever. Okay, this week, Matt, we review the mayhem in Monaco. No, no, that's not a good headline at all. The better headline for this weekend is, Ferrari destroy Mercedes in Monaco. They absolutely bossed the title fight. Yeah, they kind of did. They kind of did. But in doing so, they gave us oh so much to talk about. Yeah, they did. I mean, we always brace for a bit of a procession in Monaco, and, and boy, did we get one. But that doesn't mean there's not talking points. No, in in fact, the we could probably spend the entire show just arguing about exactly what Ferrari was up to with their pit stops. Never mind anything else. At least we did get a little bit of action at the end, and we've we've I think we've got four whose fault is this is which always makes me happy. And I think we've seen the biggest U-turn in F1 racing rules ever. I know you were you were all being crazy about that, but I, I'm going to slightly put my foot in the other camp and say, eh, I think they're being modestly consistent because, well, anyway, we can talk about that later. And we will. So a warm welcome to our new subscribers who joined the feed after Joe Saywood decided to bring Inside F1 with Joe Saywood to this feed. And I'll be catching up with Joe again, in fact, tomorrow. And I think we're going to release that episode on Thursday. Tonight's show is a review of the Monaco GP. Me and Matt do race reviews. Next Sunday, Matt and Chris 
we'll do a roundup of the news uh, because I'm not here. I am on holiday. And before the Canadian Grand Prix, you'll get a short, sharp betting preview that we do with our friends over at Sportsbook Review. We also occasionally have a tech focus show with Matthew Summerfield of motorsport.com. I'm not going to be humble here. That is simply the best F1 tech chat discussion anywhere. So if you only came here for Joe, I hope we can give you much more and enhance your F1 fandom. But in the meantime, let me tell you that we are an independent podcast hosted by MissedApexPodcast.com. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute, or a Tuesday on a bank holiday. We might be wrong, but we're first. This show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here, so you can play it with kids in the background or at work. Uh, We are joined this week by autosport journalist Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens. What's going on, man? That's all right. Did you feel a bit, you know, left out because you did the Monaco E-Pri? You did the baby brother, but then you had to be sat at home while the yachts all pulled in for the Monaco GP. No, no, not at all. Just being in Monaco, even when there's not a race on, is special in itself. And we're also joined by Downforce Radio's host of Raise the Roof, Tin Top Enthusiast, Goldie, Alex Goldschmidt. How's it going, Goldie? Evening, Spanners. Evening, everybody. All good. Thank you very much. You're going to join us for a bit of open wheels, so it's going to be a bit disconcerting for you that these cars can't touch, and what happens when they do? Well, I've had my fair share of both open wheel and tin top action this weekend, I can guarantee you that, mate. I wonder what the Big Dirty News is this week. Big Dirty News. Well, here's where I normally say the Big Dirty News was the race, but I suppose Big Dirty News was kind of the qualifying this week, Matt. Yeah, only in the sense that if you're going to talk about qualifying, it it was the extraordinarily bad luck that one Mr. Lewis Hamilton had, although we can argue about exactly what caused that, aside from, of course, Stoffel. A Pirelli conspiracy. That's, That's what I'm betting on right now. Uh, yeah, you, you can you can absolutely bet on that. Um, but really, it, it was a weekend Mercedes would rather have not had, and and it was most obvious in the fact that they just could not get the tires up to temperature. And this is where I, I can see you've already like I can see your eyes glazing over because I mentioned the word tires. tires. <sighs> but the fact of the matter is. All of the drivers had a hard time getting both the fronts and the rears into the window at the same time. And most of the problems that Mercedes were suffering were due directly to that. It was so bad. Known non-complainer Romain Grosjean actually had an entire (laughs) article written about him by Jonathan Noble about the tires being ridiculous. And we know he never complains about anything ever. Didn't he? That was his second complaint of that day. He'd also extensively complained about the sausage curb. Yeah, yeah, he complained about that. A lot of drivers complained about that. But miraculously, they all managed to miss it in the race as well. So Fair enough. And look, let's talk about the race, because I took a bit of heat in the build-up to the race. And some people love Monaco, Matt, and I get that. But I just want to quickly review what I actually said. I said there's no racing. And to be fair, in my defense, there's really not. In fact, the stewards have now clamped down on any potential racing you could have had, uh, as I will correctly argue with you later, Matt. But also I said in a tweet, it might be all fine and well for like the media and the people there. I may have used the word elite in a, in a lefty rant sense. But for them, it's really, really exciting. But to sit and watch it on TV, it's fairly boring. And I think Jack Nichols responded to it because I, I used the hashtag BBCF1. And he said, yeah, you're wrong. You know, you have to be here to appreciate it. 
And yeah, and I think that sums it up. Being there on the BBC Dime, Matt, I'm sure he's having a wonderful time. Yeah, I'm sure he is. And I'm sure I would, if I got an all-expense-paid trip to Monaco to watch the show, I'm sure it would be fantastic. But you're right, only in the sense that it doesn't translate well as spectacle on television. But I must disagree. I think there was tons of racing. Uh, okay, I think we could have made that argument in, in some tracks but okay gonna be hard pushed to say there was a lot of great racing there was a few laps around the pit stop that were great racing whoa whoa whoa! see you do this all the time uh you you play back right now and and point to me where i use the word great in front of racing i just said there was lots of racing there were 78 laps of racing well you misunderstood matt it's much easier to defeat uh the version of you know a much softer version of what the person said than the actual argument and i think that is kind of what i got with this monaco thing i got lots of tweets from trackside saying huh you say it's rubbish but check this out yeah well you're there that's amazing not everyone can get there certainly not all kids can get there so just to review what i didn't say i didn't say it's an easy track i didn't say it's rubbish to go there and i didn't say that it's not a challenge it's just that on telly it's a bit lame. But hey, if you want to prove me wrong, invite me there, all expenses paid, and, and show me what an idiot I am. That'll teach me. It, it, I cannot understand this whole argument about it being, you know, too expensive anymore. I mean, having, you know, done it and done it basically on the cheap as well, you know, it, it's still something that is accessible. For an F1 weekend, Chris. People. Sorry? For an F1 weekend. Okay, but yeah, yeah, it wasn't for the F1 weekend. Oh, yeah, fair enough. They'll bump the prices up a little bit for that. But, you I, know, I, you, we still went during, you know, uh, a period of racing action, and you can do it on the cheap. Yeah, fair enough. But, you know, personally for me, get the little violins out as a child from, from zero to 18. There was zero chance of me getting to a Monaco GP and, and traveling around the world. And there are a lot of people in that situation. 99% of people will never go to a Monaco GP. And even the people who do go will still watch most of the Monaco GPs on their telly. So surely it's important for the on the telly bit to be, you know, to be fun to watch. And it's not. I agree that sort of on TV, it's not an amazing spectacle. You do have to, you know, be an F1 fan to appreciate the skill of trying to navigate those those barriers. But I think, you know, the issue of the cost of going to a Grand Prix is more of a integral issue in Formula One and is not one that is specific to Monaco. Kirsty says, nice try, Spanners, trying to get an invite because uh, you think it's boring. I've got to try that. Hey, it's not my first rodeo. RJ Bone says, uh, stop racing at Monaco. It's Monaco, not a race circuit. Heartbreak Ridge, the racing isn't the best, but it's just a pretty place to race. So I guess we're just going to have to... It's not going to change, is it? I just thought I'd have my little whinge. Uh, Matt, why don't we move on to more interesting tactical things that you spotted before we even saw the green lights? Right. Well, we did talk extensively about the tires, didn't we? The deal with the tires was it was taking two to three laps for most cars to get into the window, to get both tires in the window at the same time. And in particular, it was a problem because some of the cars, in order to get into the window, were having to drive up to six seconds slower a lap than cars that were getting there quicker. So it caused a lot of problems. In fact, we heard, I believe it was Magnuson complaining about Lewis blocking him on his lap, trying to get his tires up. But we also had an issue um, with Mercedes and particularly with Lewis trying to get his lap time in. And now here's the thing. I went back and looked at his FP3 times. If he had just run the same time as he did in FP3, he would have been P7 in Q3. Wow. He would have made it through to Q3. 
So even with no improvement at all, he could have made uh, the third session. But and and Summers made this point in the in the in the chat in the Slack chat that he thought Mercedes was overthinking it a little bit. Just go out there and drive the car around fast and put a time on the board. Instead, they were all about their precision engineering and to their detriment as it kept him from from getting a banker in. Yeah, Chris. I think it's quite difficult to compare the FP3 times with the qualifying times because the track changed so drastically between FP3 and qualifying because the track temperature shot up dramatically and the times were actually slower by the time we got to, to qualifying. All right, so it's very easy. You just go and look at the times on the FIA website, and you can see right away the fastest time in FP3, and then you can see the qualifying times. And I agree, actually. I was tracking this because I've gotten sort of interested in the um, improvement between FP3 and and quality uh, between Ferrari and Mercedes. So I, I actually have it all on a spreadsheet now. And interestingly, there was virtually no improvement, just a tenth or two in Ferrari. Botas. And I'll say it again for the chat room bingo people. Botas actually improved by over half a second between FP3 and Quali. So we did see some times go up. But my point being, even if he had he run simply the same time as FP3, he would have absolutely been in Q3. So the issue is waiting to the last minute. And you actually heard his engineer kind of yell at him when he had the save but kept on going and then backed off. He was like, you've, you've only got one more bite at this cherry right before Stoffel put it in the wall. And that was a big put in the wall as well, if I remember correctly, you know, uh, and he was on his flyer and then instantly comes up against yellow flags and straight away you knew that straight away, well, Hamilton's dumped it where he shouldn't have done in terms of putting his, you know, he should have put a banker lap in so he would have actually been further up into Q2 and to potentially be in the top 10. Well, okay, then in the chat room, James Fennell's asking, I still don't understand why they didn't revert to the FP1 setup. Is it as easy as just going, well, let's just reset and start again? It never is because, I mean, they've got so much uh, in terms of suspension travel, geometry, um, wing uh, application with regards to the front and the rear wings as well. Uh, The vortices they've got to take into consideration. So there's so much these engineers to put in in such a short space of time. But to Matt's point, Forsaken in the chat room, thank goodness we do have a chat room, Matt. I do, I do love these folk that impart us with all the little things we forget. They're saying that to back you up, all the individual times, sector times within Quali would have added up to P7 as well. So if there was capability in the car. It's just one of those times, one of those sessions where it doesn't go right. And we've seen Lewis Hamilton and loads of people struggle to get the lap in around Monaco because of yellow flags. So it's not rare. This isn't a, a one-off uh, situation. Car car struggling with setup. Driver doesn't get it in the window to get his lap in. It happens. It does happen, but it happened at a particularly bad track for Mercedes. And really, because as you have pointed out, with the wider tires and the wider cars, what little overtaking we've seen in the past was pretty much ruled out entirely. 
And I have to say, I'll skip ahead to the race a little bit. I think we were on lap 12 or 13, and there was so little happening that the commentators on Channel 4 were comparing the width of the Formula 1 car in relation to a Land Rover Discovery. And I was sitting listening to that, and the commentary was like test match special, if that means anything at all to you, Matt, where they would describe the buses coming down past the ground in between overs. So, yeah, you're right. This year particularly, Jensen Button commented the cars are wide, uh, and that did make for a not very exciting race. But for Kimi fans, and we know we have a lot of them, this was a bumper Saturday. Yeah, it was. He was fast. He was properly fast. And when it came down to it, and I will point out this is the second week in a row, uh, second week, second race in a row, apologies, that when Vettel had to do the job in Q3 with his final run, he couldn't quite get it across the finish line in time. He couldn't do it in Barcelona, even though he looked to be faster than the Mercedes. And now against his own teammate in Monaco, again, he just couldn't quite get it done. Yeah, Chris. I think what kind of backs that point up as well is that Seb had the better of Kimi all the way up until that last lap in Q3. Kimi's pace really sort of came out of nowhere, which I I think is why it was a a surprise to a lot of us and also really great to see as well. Oh, it was delightful to see. Uh, I, I I was tremendously excited to see Vettel not starting on pole. Yeah, but haven't we got a situation here with the two number one drivers in the two top teams that these are guys who absolutely go for it in qualifying? They're looking for the perfect lap every lap because they know they can do the perfect lap. Now, maybe Bottas and Kimi aren't sitting there thinking they can do the absolute historic perfect lap. And you just wonder, maybe Lewis and Vettel are the kind of guys who are a bit all or nothing with that perfect lap time. Yeah, all or nothing at all. Great tune, and I, I, it kind of sums up their approach to to getting around the track, you know. Which in this instance helped neither of them. I think the only other thing I wanted to mention from qualifying was Carlos Sainz, who properly beat Sergio Perez like a gong by four one thousandth of a second. Yeah, Chris. Uh, can we also mention as well? McLaren did technically have both of their cars in Q three for the first time this season. We can mention that, but. Only because it was like Stoffel said to Rosberg, here, hold my beer. <laughs> was it a Belgian one? <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, you know what else was interesting about that, too, is, is that Button wound up getting kicked all the way to the back of the grid all over again because they put a new floor on his car. And the reason they did this, and I mentioned this just for those of you who love Formula One trivia, is because they had two... They had a new floor and they had exactly two of them. And when Stoffel broke his, putting it in the wall, they gave him buttons so that he didn't get a back of the grid penalty as well. They only had a spare old spec for to go with it. Yeah, Chris. That makes perfect sense. I know it's kind of reminiscent of the whole uh, Weber and Vettel new front wing at Silverstone uh, thing a few years ago. But it makes perfect sense if your car is you know, starting in, you know, I think what was... Uh, 12th place in the end with the penalty it makes perfect sense to give the the better car and the the driver that's going to be doing the whole season as well the new floor rather than Jensen oh no it it made sense because he was already starting at the back so what's the difference from starting in a pit lane instead but it was it was interesting to see ultimately that was what had caused it because I the I, I didn't find that explanation easily I just ran across it while I was reading about the race Speaking of the race, shall we go there? Oh, smooth, dude. 
Let's catch up with the beautiful little thing in the top right-hand corner of my screen today. Alex Goldschmidt. Goldie, you are the host of Raise the Roof, the newest in the form of Tin Top podcasting that Downforce Radio has to offer. How's that got going this season? Um, we've had a few technical snags of our own. Uh, one of the episodes hasn't been published due to issues at Downforce Radio HQ. Thank you, Mr. Sanson. But it's through no fault of his own. <laughs> he ruins um, everything. Unlike your technical issues before we went live this afternoon. But yeah, um, episode four is happening this coming Wednesday. So two days from now, we're going to be reviewing the um, action from Thruxton. That's 8 p.m. live for one hour on Downforce Radio, the nation's motorsport station. Yeah, it's it's been going really well so far. Um, we've got a very special guest uh, for this particular uh, episode as well. Um, so, yeah, a guy that used to run in the BTCC, but now runs in Janetta's for all those that follow the Toker action. Tell us. Tell um, us who it is. It's Andy Wilmot, who used to run with uh, Welsh Motorsport in the old Protons. Um, not the most successful driver, but he's been uh, angling to get onto Downforce at some point, so... Do you know what? Put him in it doesn't matter. That he knows not, well. not the most successful driver. Uh, he has been in a racing car doing racing car stuff. He knows a lot more than we do. So it's a big exactly. score. And at the end of that show as well, you also review the bumper cars from Clacton Pier is how I hear you wrap up every single show. Goldie, where can people find you and the show on the internet? Well, you can actually uh, follow us at... Uh... Well, there's no Twitter official handle, unlike uh, Lean Angle, which is hosted by a venerable Mr. Stevens. Have we'll to give that get to him. Well. This is your moment. Well, this yeah, this is my moment. But hey, you know, you've invited me on, so why the hell not? You can find me on Twitter at uh, Alex underscore G1977. Um, I'm also the uh, Germany editor for touringcars.net, where most of my touring car spiel when it comes to writing is on there. Um, that includes the British Touring Cars, DTM, which I'm a big fan of, the World Touring Cars, which I cover this weekend. Um, you can also uh, find us at um, Race the Roof on Downforce Radio. So that's uh, all the W's uh, downforceradio.com. And you can find us on Spreaker as well. Thank you very much. Matthew Graff in the chat room says, is an appearance of Matt's cat included in the live stream bingo? I can tell you that it utterly is. Matt, tell us how the race was won and lost. I will absolutely do that, but I think we should say hi to some new chat room names first. I see RJ Bone, who I've not seen before. Welcome, welcome. He would like Lee Diffie of the NBC commentary team sacked and Bob Varsha brought back. I happen to be a big Bob Varsha fan, so you got my interest with that one. And also, I have seen another new name, Christian K. Button actually complained these cars had too much grip. Whoa. Early going for the comment of the week. Oh, but I might be able to add to that as well, because uh, he was talking to, uh, I think it was Lee McKenzie on Channel 4, saying he didn't know where the grip was coming from, whether it was going to be on the back, whether it was going to be on the front. Um, so, yeah, the uh, inevitable, uh, inevitable grip discussion with Mr. Button would have come alive very shortly anyhow. There's no such thing as too much grip. Oh, there's always such a thing as too much. And Korku Anoma, I have not seen anything uh, quotable in my little window right here, but welcome to the chat room. So, shall we proceed to the race? Yes, let's not let Alex embarrass himself with his lack of engineering any longer. Indeed. Right. So, the race was won and lost on the following fact that going into it, the tires, and I just say that to make your eyes glaze over because it's fun, I'll be honest, the tires, the super soft tires, were known to be about a half second slower 
than the ultra softs. And so everybody was looking for the overcut to be the choice. Normally in Monaco, you'd be pitting around lap 28, but with the ultra soft supposedly lasting forever, nobody really knew what was going to happen. And early on, we, we did have uh, Hulkenberg retire, but that didn't bring out the safety car. So there was no wrinkle there. And it wasn't until Perez. Oh, yeah. You want to say something? Go oh, it was just as soon as he, the smoke started coming from his car, we're all thinking safety car, safety car, safety car. And then he inconsiderately parked it extremely safely. And we're like, oh, you get at least just smack it in the middle of the road so we can all have a race. He must have been sitting in his car thinking, the one effect I can have on this race right now is to just leave it on the hairpin. Yeah, and I would have been delighted because I was down for two safety cars in the race in the Fantasy League. And uh, I'd made a drunken bet on Hamilton to win. So I was dying for a safety car. Yes, no, we were all looking for the safety car, but it did not come out there because Hulkenberg was a responsible Formula One citizen and parked his car well out of the way. But, But a few laps later, Uh, Sergio Perez was called into the pits because his front wing was about to fail. And this is where it got interesting because he strapped on a pair of the super sauce and went out and continued to set representative lap times, i.e. he was he was going well within the half second gap that they thought would be between the two compounds. Now, this was interesting strategically because it opened up the possibility of the undercut working. Even if you, because you had to switch from the ultras to the super softs to meet the regulations, which I'm sure everybody knows, but I'll mention it anyway. And so now it was the race was on overcut or undercut, both seemed possible. And that set the stage for what happened next, which was Ferrari, who had been very fast from the beginning, suddenly started slowing down with Kimi in the lead. Okay, so what do you think was happening here? Because I was I was thinking, because the, the commentary team were talking about where Vettel would come out, and they were like, well, he needs to clear Ricardo, and then he kept just not getting to the point where he would clear Ricciardo. So I was thinking, well, why? Like, Vettel's not choosing to go that slowly. That's got to be Kimi having a bit of a brain on him and going, hang on a minute, the only way I can keep him behind and prevent my own team giving away this lead is to back him up into the pack and hope he gets the first pit stop and fails his undercut. Yep, that 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 is certainly a valid interpretation of the facts as we know them. Um, it's a very clever one, too, because we don't know, thanks to Ferrari's media blackout, exactly what's going on at Ferrari. We know where their cars finish, and we know what their drivers say when they're interviewed. But beyond that, we get nothing but pablum from them right now. And it, it's a bit of an issue, obviously, because they're... You know, they're in the title, they're in the title fight. But what in all likelihood happened was that, as you might surmise from Ferrari's past history, they might be favoring Vettel with the strategy at the pit stops. Gosp. And suddenly, around lap 15 or 16, he starts just running dead 117s. And slowly but surely, back come Botas, back come Verstappen. And the race was who would get to the undercut window first. And unfortunately for Kemi, Botas and Mercedes were having actual problems with their pace on those tires. And so it was Verstappen that caught Botas and got into his undercut window before Botas caught up and got into Vettel's window. And at that point, Red Bull, who, who were suddenly thinking, oh, we could undercut Botas, keep Ricardo out, 
and then overcut him as well, was thinking they could get both of their chess pieces ahead in one fell maneuver. But to me, and I'm an amateur strategist on my home pit wall that I've created for myself, I was thinking that the overcut was always going to be the option for people who were stuck in traffic. And that was somewhat concerned, Chris, by Bono, the engineer at Mercedes, coming over the radio and saying, you know, Lewis, chill out. It's okay. We don't need to go past Via. Our race comes later. Well, when the news came out that the Ultrasoft tyre was able to do the entire Grand Prix distance, I think it was a, a fairly safe assumption to say that the overcut was going to be uh, the, the favoured uh, strategy option. But then, of course, you get new data as the race unfolds. You can't predict a race. You can only go on the data that you are given at the time. So I can understand why some teams maybe thought the undercut would work. But definitely Lewis's strategy in uh, going for that overcut, that was definitely the best thing for it. So maybe you're right. Maybe the overcut was the best strategy. However, as Matt points out, a Bottas just couldn't do it. And he set that chain reaction off, which is really, I guess that made the race. I suppose if Mercedes were having, you know, those tyre issues that uh, Summers tried to point out in the Slack group that, you know, the more laps they do on those tyres, that they're actually overworking them compared to some of the other cars, that would make sense for them. Yeah, well, what it boiled down to was that Mercedes car itself was just unsettled. It was a real handful. And so it may not have been specifically tire trouble in the sense that the tires were degrading, but it was tire trouble in the sense that they weren't working properly with the car and the setup. And in particular, because the Mercedes was so softly sprung, um, this the suspicion is that the aero just wasn't working as well around this track as it normally did because the speeds were so low and the car was sprung so soft. Yeah, Chris. I did definitely notice the the amount of roll in the Mercedes compared to some of the other cars, uh, especially through the high-speed swimming pool section. But it's not a new issue of Mercedes having issue on the softest compound available. It's been basically a characteristic of their car since the hybrid era began, that on the super or ultra soft tire, whatever the softest compound is, they don't seem to find as much pace as their rivals. And they also tend to struggle when the track is very hot, which is you appropriately pointed out the temperatures were above 50 on the track for the whole race which is is, is kind of high and unlike ferrari the lower pressures mandated by pirelli didn't really help them because they already sprung so softly it, it didn't help them in the slightest yes spanners okay matt you've done a beautiful job laying out the strategy and describing it as moving their chess pieces. Because in Monaco, this is where the strategists probably really earn their money over the drivers. Now, I believe that had all things been equal and you'd have had Kimi and Vettel, one and two, coming up to the checkered flag, I don't think Ferrari would have put the call over the radio simply let him pass. I don't believe we're there yet. However, they were, I'd imagine, looking for any convenient little strategies to make that happen and what you're saying about the covering off early and the chess piece around Bottas's early um, pit stop meant that they could legitimately put one of their cars in to cover off the Mercedes in case that happened to be the best strategy but why did they use the first place car to cover off that tactic instead of using the second place car which would be more normal well 
I suspect it was because Raikkonen was setting the pace and the pace was well above what they expected it to be. And so we could cast our minds back to perhaps the last race of 2016 when a certain world champion needed to have his teammate finish third so that he could win. Now, what's a world champion to do? Drive as fast as possible and hope his teammate's engine blows up? Or, as we mentioned, perhaps back his teammate into traffic? And do you remember the calls that that Hamilton was getting about that? You know, we're going to have to bring you in. We're going to have to change strategy. And he's like, I suggest. Ridiculous. <laughs> and, and I think this is what it was. I think Ferrari said, well, Raikkonen's running 117s. We called Vettel and told him to turn his engine up to strat mode five. And he said, I don't need to. Who do wow, we bring in first? I missed that. There you go. So they would have been very happy, really, because that gifted them the opportunity to get Vettel in front. And they probably knew that they could release him for a very short amount of laps, and that would be enough to get him out ahead. Yeah, and crucially, they, they did bring him in and brought him back out behind Jensen Button, which didn't really help matters much. But I think the real issue is I don't think he knew they were going to bring him in until it was too late for him to do a proper in-lap because his time before his pit lap was another 117. Vettel, on the other hand, his two laps before he came in were both in the 115s. And crucially, if you look at the pit stops, Vettel's was a, you know, the pit stop lap cumulative time in the FIA chart was about two seconds faster. Do you and know, that pretty much did it. Yeah. I mean, Chris, I mean, there's a lot of conspiracy theories, isn't there, where people go, oh, don't be silly. There's no, but this one's nailed on, isn't it? I'm not going to say. Oh, you're so the, bad. The, Just no, say. the thing is, I would love to, but the honest answer is, I don't know what Ferrari are thinking. I don't think anybody other than Ferrari know what Ferrari are thinking, but I will say it's not exactly unlike Ferrari to do the old switcheroo <laughs> on their drivers. And but the thing it makes perfect sense as it well. Does. Vettel's no, leading no, the does. championship. Mm-hmm. They have a, an opportunity to a big lead in the drivers and constructors' championship with Lewis basically out of the running. Would I like to have seen a fair fight? Absolutely, I would have loved to have. But at the same time, Kimi started dropping the pace. He came out in traffic as well. That was very unfortunate. But at mm. the same time, surely Ferrari should have mapped that out in their strategy. You know, there's a lot of factors in there. Yeah, yeah Ford's chat room is just confirming that ESPN had an article with Kimmy, and he said he was just told to come in, never told to push. So basically, you have two choices to explain what happened in the race. Explanation one, Kimmy was slow because Kimmy was slow. They brought him in first. Vettel was faster, and Vettel won. Or explanation two, Kimmy knew they were going to try or suspected they were going to try something, and he was attempting to do everything he could to win the race despite them. Yes, and James Farnell says, look, Kimi could have won the race if he'd have pulled a gap earlier in that race too. It feels like that needs to be mentioned, but he went the other way. He tried to back him up into traffic, perhaps correctly feeling that he doesn't have the pace. But look, there's a difference here. When Ferrari have done it in the past, they've had a number two driver that's bought in to being a number two driver, Massa, Irvine. I don't think that Kimi is bought in to being a number two driver, and I don't think anyone's told him that that's the case. So there is a slight subtle difference here. For example, I think Massa might well have found himself with a random gearbox inspection on the grid had he qualified ahead of Sebastian Vettel in Monaco. Might very well have. But it's, of course, as as Stevens properly points out, a, a question which we can only answer by surmise and inference or deduction, not necessarily by getting the answer directly from the team. 
Well, that's fine. Wild speculation is a thing I do. Uh, we all do it well. That's why people come. Anyway, the upshot or the downshot or the bad news was because Verstappen had kicked this all off trying to undercut Botas because they'd been backed up by Kimi, the both of them got stuck in traffic. And in particular, Verstappen had a very costly and slow pit stop, which meant that the four lap interval uh, Ricardo and Vettel were allowed saw Ricardo perhaps making amends for last year's loss and getting properly ahead of his teammate and securing oh. the podium spot for Red Bull while Verstappen was like they were just dumped getting through that traffic. Now, that is a conspiracy theory. I like it. I love it. Absolutely love it. But, Matt, the safety car we were hoping for did come eventually, uh, but even that didn't really have the effect we were hoping for. Well, no. No, it, it didn't. Um, it, the only real impact it had on the, the race was that, of course, Ericsson managed to take himself out while trying to unlap himself. Oh, wait, wait. Hang on a minute. Let's be fair to Ericsson. We haven't decided that is in whose fault it is. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com this ericsson versus the safety car we could go either way we could let's be it's fair true. and 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 stroll wound up having to leave the race as he was unable to keep his brakes and tires up to temperature and it was a bit of a sad moment on the radio as he was like help me please i don't know what to do here oh stroll. It, it's it was he didn't really say that, but he was he was like, if I don't stop, if I don't keep on braking like this, I lose all the temperature in my brakes. I lose all the temperature in my tires. And they said, well, if you keep on braking like this, your brakes will catch on fire and burn up. And eventually his brakes caught on fire and burned up and he had to retire from the race. OK, remember that later on in the show, we do give an award for the best chat room comment, which is called comment of the week. Kirsten K says sparkles can't get off the fence. He's caught his pants, that's underwear to you, Matt, in barbed wire. Chris, don't, we... don't, don't you mean his ripped jeans <laughs> that he conveniently showed off on the live stream earlier? Okay, that's really where the race was won and lost, Matt. 
Yeah, it very much was. Now, I did see a point go by in the chat room that I'd like to address briefly, if I may, before we move on, pointing out that Vettel did some monster laps. Yes, he did two 115s. However, after clearing Button, so did Kimmy. Like, almost down to the thousandth of a second, he ran the same lap times as Vettel on his new super softs that were supposed to be slower. So make of that what you will. And we've barely mentioned him because he wasn't really a feature of the race. And if he wasn't the uh, the second place driver in the championship, I doubt he'd have got a mention at all today. But Lewis Hamilton, Chris, uh, do you think he got the most he could have possibly done from 13th place? I think he got more. Yeah, uh, I really did not expect him to get a seventh place. I mean, a point or two was a, a realistic target and they really did overshoot that. Played the strategy just perfectly. And while we're talking to you, Chris, you're an autosport journalist, a legit young man touring the world, talking about motorsport, gone to Monaco. You go around uh, doing amateur racing as well for autosport. How is your career going? Are you genuinely flying to the extent we think you are? Because frankly, me and Matt, having known you for a year and a bit, are baffled at your success. <laughs> oh, you and me both. Um, I, I think maybe, uh, you know, looking out outside of the tent, looking in, uh, you know, the two very different things, but yeah, I think my career is going pretty well at the moment. Like you say, I've just been to Monaco for the Formula E and then Paris as well. They were two amazing, uh, weeks uh, and yeah, doing the 750 motor club for Autosport, That's really, really, uh, fun. I've got that coming up in a couple of weeks again as well. So I should be back in the magazine. I'm actually going into the office at Autosport this week to do some work there. So I'm looking forward to that it should be good i think if nothing else it's fair to say your foot's in the door and that that is possibly one of the very hardest things yeah i mean i've spent uh you know four or five years trying to get my foot in the door and and now it's it's there and i just need to need to actually barge it open and and show show the glorious world of journalism what i can do did i hear you correctly say you were going into the office to do some work there stevens i know i'm doing a nine to five (laughs) Excellent. I was going to ask, did the loo need cleaning? Is that what you've been? Oh, I haven't started yet. I go on Wednesday. So you'll find out then what you have to do. I can't wait to hear, actually. I'm very excited for you. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I have to say a bit of kudos to you, Mr. Stevens. You've impressed me since we've known each other. I think it's, what, a good couple of years now. Mate, it's getting better and better for you, but wait until you try commentary at some point, because I've got Daytona D-Max in a couple of weeks at Shennington. Never. No, I never. I could never do that. Although, actually... You've reminded me because you've already mentioned it. Lean Angle Podcast, the bike show on Downforce Radio that I host as well. Please check that out. Baha in the chat room says, uh, at Matt Trumpets, excellent work, man. You are the podcast. Spanners would be completely lost without your insight. And I've just noticed in our Skype chat where we put potential comments of the week that somebody, no names mentioned, has copied and pasted that. Matt, that's rather vain. You can't have that one win. Someone write a lovely comment about me and I'll nominate that. But hey, look, guys. I don't mind that at all. The whole thing I'm trying to deliver to you on Missed Apex Podcast is subject matter experts, and we give them the best platform possible to come and talk to you about F1. Every week I say to Matt, tell us how the race was won and lost. I say that to him because he knows. On Tech Time, we say to Summers, tell us how the F1 cars work. We get him to do that because he knows how the F1 cars work. Hey, we need F1 news. Chris Stevens comes on because that's what he does as an actual job. And now we also have Mr. Joe Saywood to tell us about life 
inside the Formula One paddock as well. So I absolutely don't mind playing second fiddle to such a fine cast and crew. Is it the smell of your house burning down as distracting? They don't know about that. That happened pre-show. As far as everybody knows, my house is fine. (laughs) Hey, I've done this show with floods before. Okay, uh, let's move on to whose fault is this? Whose fault is this? As you know, guys, if there was a fire in my actual house, we couldn't just rescue the pets and the children before my wife wanted to decide whose fault it was. We would need to establish blame before we could rescue ourselves and our valuables. Can I just go ahead and blame Pirelli for everything? Yeah, there's a good there's a good conspiracy theory going around that they're in the pockets of Ferrari because they keep tinkering with the tire pressures uh, and then mysteriously Mercedes lose performance. Although we will point out that correlation doesn't always equal causation. It was a bit strange for Pirelli to tweet that a bit of a taunting tweet about Lewis Hamilton not doing well in qualifying. Did you catch that? I did catch it. I didn't read it that way when I eventually saw the offending tweet, but that may just be me. Fair enough. If you're going to be all sensible about it. Okay, whose fault is this? First up is Verline versus Button in one of the most bizarre crashes I've seen in Formula One. So I'm going to lay out this out. Whose fault is it? Pascal Verline is at fault for turning into a car that was alongside him and forcing him into the barrier. You have to be able to race. Chris Stevens, tell me why you disagree. Are you, are you actually trying to just cause an argument or do you genuinely believe this? No, I genuinely I, believe it. It was so JB's fault. I mean, why? But, because he stuck his nose in in a half-hearted attempt at an overtake, which, fair enough, around Monaco, you have to take any 1% of a chance of an overtake you're going to get. Exactly. But it was 100% his fault. His wheels were alongside the side pod. Now, according to the official rules of Formula One, Chris, that you don't care about, how far along do you have to be before the other person has to yield the corner? A significant amount of your car, which Jensen did not. Right. You're wrong on two counts. I'm so glad you've said that. The first count is a significant part of the car in the rules is very clearly clarified as any part of the front wing. And that rule only applies in any case before the braking zone on the straight. So, Chris Stevens, I ask you again, what is the rule in the corner? How much of the car has to be alongside before they have to yield it? He dived into that corner. Avoiding the question, Your Honour. Avoided the question, Your Honour. May I approach the bar? (laughs) No. I've already approached the bar. But Chris, he's he's, he's, spanners. He's come alongside. (laughs) He's come alongside him. He's full. He's in there. He's made that move, and Pascal has just turned in. He hasn't made that move though at all because he's just stuck his nose in a place it really does not belong. But Pascal's already beyond his turning, but he's got to turn into that corner at some point. What Jensen was trying to do there, he was trying to take advantage of the fact that the leaders were coming through, a bit like Max Verstappen did in 2015. And he, he tried to take advantage of it and hit him. It was his fault. Well, the chat room wishes to get involved. And Evangelos Eterocleitos says, it pains me to say it, Button's fault. With wide oh. cars comes great responsibility. Okay, but but Stevens, why are you so outraged about this? You are the one who's been saying to me all season, just let them race. Just let them race. So surely you don't agree with the penalty. I'll tell you the reason I don't agree with the penalty. is because it's a grid penalty that Jensen will (laughs) never serve. It is the most pointless penalty ever given. Okay, but that aside, do you agree that he should have been penalised for that move? 
I think so. I think it was slightly reckless of Jensen, a bit out of character for him. He was very much to blame for it. It's not one of those, you know, 50, 50, 40, 60 maneuvers. You've done a right U-turn here. Here's what the steward said. Having reviewed all the angles of video, the stewards concluded that Verline was on the racing line and that the move button made was unlikely to result in a clean pass. The stewards did not consider the consequences of the collision. Good. I'm happy with that. But they're lying because you have to. That was dramatic, which resulted from Button trying to brake at the last moment and Verline's interlocked wheel causing the car to turn onto its side. Firstly, I don't know why they bothered mentioning that. Everyone is affected by seeing a car flipped over. It's a human reaction. You just can't help it. But they've now said, they've set a precedence for the rest of the season that unless it's likely to make a clean overtake, you will get penalised, which means that you can't do anything because the driver in front just has to close the door on the apex and that, by definition, means they're going to get a penalty. I disagree with, with that because up until, you know, well, not even up until this point, the stewards have been very, very good and clever with their decisions so far. They've not been penalizing, you know, those 50, 50, 40, 60 incidents that are just racing incidents, just what happens when you go racing. What Jensen did was, I'm, I'm not going to, maybe reckless is a bit too harsh for a word, but it was very, very silly and unnecessary. And I can understand his frustration because he shouldn't have been in that position. You know, Pascal was released unsafely into his path and the penalty that Saba got didn't make a damn bit of difference. So I can understand why he took that, you know, half chance he got. But it was definitely a, a very silly move that he made. Right. So this one is a very tough one for me because I sort of want to hold my fire because I feel like we should talk about that later on. But I kind of want to blame the stewards for not making Veriline yield the place to button way back when he first illegally took it from him. That's very true. If we are going to limit ourselves to the actual interaction on track in terms of assigning blame, this is tough because now I either have to agree with Spanners or with Stevens, <laughs> neither of which is 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 uh, uh, neither of which pleases me. But nevertheless, I'm going to have to say it's 100 percent completely all the way, totally 100 million percent Jensen Button's fault for the following reason. The only way that overtake would have succeeded was if Veriline had simply turned left and driven nose first into the barrier. There was no way he was ever going to get round there without contact. And I think that was the point that the stewards were making. Not that you can't go for a low probability maneuver, but it has to be greater than 0%, which is what that particular move have. And we know this because of Button's own comments afterwards. He's like, Oh, yeah, I was alongside him. And then I realized he didn't see me. Well, guess what? If if the move requires the other driver to see you, you've already done a bad thing. Ah, I don't you know. know. I'll tell you what. That, that's my general opinion. I don't think this is as cut and dry as Chris's expression of dread and hatred towards me is making out. But the chat it room is. Is, seems pretty split, to be honest, if you look at it. Uh, Corku says, Spanners, I agree with you. He left the door open for Button to go through. Othnell saying, well, then, Spanners then Seb should have been penalised for the contact in Spain. And a, a big precedent has been set for running the car out wide. It seems to me now, in the rules, the stewards have basically said, you are allowed to run a car out wide on the exit of a corner. Uh, you are if you are far along, if you are far along side enough Just that, you have, clean, that, you, ha- that you have a clean pass. And I can point to the same race, Sergio Perez, Stavel Van Dorn, later on, where the exact thing happened. Perez ran Van Dorn wide, getting around Sandoval. Into the wall goes Van Dorn. 
nothing wasn't even investigated so i think you're 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 a tempest in a teacup here mr spanner but i do <laughs> want to make the point that the reason that door was open and chris had mentioned it but i wish to re-mention it all over again was that he had been letting one of the ferraris buy him and button was attempting to take advantage of that I think the other reason that 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 Stoffel incident didn't get investigated as well is because it was partly to do with the track breaking up as well. If you went on the outside there, you were pretty much going to end up in the wall. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, it, we'll get to that in a minute because Perez gets his own little section today. It is Button's fault with regards to maneuver because if that was in a tin top race, the person going up the inside would definitely get a penalty. Definitely get a penalty. So I'm I'm agreeing with the stewards in the respect of what. Button did in terms of the fact that his car was not even halfway alongside their lines because I've just had a look back at the footage. But yes, I'm in agreement with uh, Mr. Trumpets on the fact that their lines should have got a penalty for having an unsafe release into Button's path. Matt, who? So, 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 so most people are agreeing with me then, basically, is what I'm hearing. Oh, come on. I just want to be in an echo chamber surrounded by yes men. Is that too much to ask? Yeah. So I'm, Well, I'm... <laughs> my mind's a part yes and a part no. So I'm in agreement with Matt pretty much all the way in terms of the stewards not doing their job properly, but also Button. And now, if anyone might remember that the fact he was quoted as saying he's done quite a few Ricky mistakes, and this comes from not having actually got into the actual car itself, doing a lot of work on the sim, it's not going to be the same as actually driving the car and finding out the limits. Oh my goodness, when he in practice couldn't find the DRS bleep off button and he's asking over the radio, uh, how do I turn this beep off? You know, the answer came over the radio pretty much. Uh, well, we told everyone in Bahrain, so just do that, do what we said. <laughs> so there you go. It's, it's also the, the fact that he hasn't been in the current car. That's the biggest problem yeah. he's had. He's been spending too much time getting disqualified for going too fast in triathlons, let alone getting behind the wheel of a car when he knew that he was going to be replacing Fernando. All right, let's get a quick one out of the way then, Matt. Whose fault is it between Ericsson and the safety car? Ericsson had the outside line, but did the safety car force him wide effectively? Did he leave him enough room? Yeah, you know, as fun as it would be to blame the safety car for that, I'm just going to have to go for Ericsson because how could you not? It's the track's fault. Boo. The tarmac's fault. It's the tarmac's fault for breaking up. Actually, it, while we're talking about it, why did the tarmac break up? Because the, tar- the cars are too quick. They've got too much downforce. It's all the car's fault. So you can have too much downforce. Oh. <laughs> so, so really what you're saying, Chris Stevens, is that it's all Bernie Eccleston's fault because we know these regulations came from him. Anyway, it was pretty embarrassing. And Mr. Joe Saywood did say when he came on last week with Inside F1 with Joe Saywood, he defended Marcus Ericsson a lot. So, you know, I don't want to shoo off our new friend, but it's going to come up. Tell you that much. Matt, gone the two Perez incidents. Which one do you want to address? Pick one of the two. Well, I think uh, Perez Van Dorn would be the more difficult to judge one. So let's start with that, shall okay. we? Okay. You judge it. I judge it. Mm, that was Van Dorn's fault. He should not, should never let Perez get up the inside that way going into Sandipop. But wasn't that fairly similar to what Bianchi did on Kobayashi? At Ruskash, you mean? Oh, that was at Ruskash, was it? But it, it felt like a similar manoeuvre where everyone had kind of gone, yeah, Bianchi's a genius for basically punting Kobayashi twice. There wasn't enough room to do the move, but he did it. But this way round, people are saying, you know, Perez shouldn't have done it. 
Nah, there was there was plenty of room for him to be where he was, but the inevitable result of him being there was that Van Dorn was going to get out on the marbles and into the wall, which of course negated the whole give him the new floor strategy that McLaren <laughs> employed and actually made it a threefer for them in in terms of uh in terms of not finishing a single car this weekend, which is pretty good for a Formula One weekend. So thanks very much, guys, for helping me be the petty person who won't allow a racing incident to go unjudged. If you enjoy this podcast and you'd like to support the show, we have two ways in which you can do this. A, tell everyone. Tell them Missed Apex Podcast adds to your F1 fandom and enjoyment of Formula 1. Or two, you can give us real money. If you support content creators on Patreon, then please consider supporting us. Go to MissedApexPodcast.com and click Patreon on the menu tab. Follow me at Spanners Ready on Twitter as well. That shows support. And stay tuned on our feed for Tech Time, Wafflecast, and the Canadian GP review all coming up in the next couple of weeks. Matt, where can people find you online as well? They can find me at MattPT55 on the Twitters. And that is the best place to look for me. Just ask my wife. All right, let's roll through some any other business. Alex, we've not really touched on Button's return uh, that much, but from a performance point of view, he came on the radio and just said, this is painful. Uh, I think he was talking about following uh, the, what car was he, uh, Pascal Wehrlein Sauber, but uh, also he could just have been talking about the whole return in general. I think it was also the fact that he qualified the car ninth and still ended up with a 15-place grid penalty thanks to an MGU issue, which then uh, could have possibly put him back into Nice with the floor being replaced as well. So, But I think the the highlight for me was when he had the phone call from Fernando Alonso being patched in through from Indianapolis, which I have to say was one of the, uh, the best button banter I've heard in quite a while when... Uh, Fernando said, yeah, good luck, mate. Um, look after my car. And then he literally goes, hmm, does something, says that he might do something interesting with the seat uh, before before they went green. Um, but yeah, it was a very, very painful experience, I think. And it showed by the comments that he was making post-race saying, uh, I think it was even post-qualifying saying, this is my last qualifying session and meaning every single syllable of it. Yeah, I think there was no doubt this time. Sparkles, a great performance by Carlos Sainz, deserved every single point this weekend. Yeah, Torosso was working really well in practice, and Carlos did an amazing lap, as he usually always does. It was an incredible performance by him. Not much to say on that, to be honest. But his performance really was the difference of why Lewis Hamilton did as well as he could today. You know, that was not that he failed to get to Carlos Sainz. Carlos Sainz earned sixth place, sixth place on on track. Oh, 100%, yeah. Drum bits, bad day for the, uh, for the Force Indias that we normally rant and rave about, but a good day for your American buddies. That's right. They had their very first double points finish, and that included a puncture for Magnussen on the uh, edge of the manhole cover that was becoming exposed because the cars were literally ripping the pavement from the ground. They're so powerful. Sorry, I got a little carried away there. Oh, you sounded all newscasty and American. That's why you're here. Indeed. No, but it was Perez just had a bonkers day. I mean, Ocon was out early. He got a puncture and was shuffled to the back and he was never going to do anything for them. But Perez was in a proper points position. He got a pair of ultra soft tires on late thanks to the safety car. And he literally made a charge 
which only ended when he charged directly into Danny Kvyat's car, who was actually not having a bad race himself until, of course, he got taken out by Perez. No, and especially when the... Um... They've also, I think they've been started to support breast cancer with the pink ribbons on the uh, the top part of the nose cones as well. You have, they've, it, I think it's just shown that with having great success at other tracks that both Ocon and Perez have had, it's Monaco's probably been a big blip. Um, and especially with the type of track that Monaco is as well, it, it makes for a, a very interesting dynamic for, for Force India, but also they've still got more tracks where they're going to flourish as opposed to somewhere like Monaco, where it is, it is tough to make up places, especially with Ocon having that massive um, hit, which damaged the right front suspension on his car as well. Definitely. It was a bit of a blip from force India. That's definitely the right word for it. I will say though, I expect him to go really strong around Canada because uh, that, that is a track that should suit their car pretty well. So definitely uh, double points. That's going to be back in the mix pretty quickly. And Matt, what a relief for Honda that they didn't have a week of providing Alonso with a terrible Honda engine that let him down. Indeed, indeed. Alonso spent a month in the US testing, driving, and getting so good that he ran at the front of the race for almost all of it. And at the very end, and I will just simply say, you know, unless the only reason you watched this race was because you wanted to see what Fernando Alonso did. It was way more exciting than Monaco this year. I'm just going to go there. At the end, he's making his way through the field. It looks like he might be able to to vie for the lead before the end. And then you hear (laughs) smoke coming out the back. And you're thinking, no, really? But to be fair, two or three other Honda engines also let go during the race. So (laughs) you kind of had the feeling it might be coming. Yeah, one of which was uh, which was his teammate Ryan Hunter Ray. His engine actually popped first out of the Hondas, then Charlie Kimball's as well. Yeah, both both had engine issues, so at least it didn't just happen to Fernando. <laughs> he had company uh, with his misery. Uh, having seen the clips on social media uh, from the Indy Five Hundred, I think I will definitely give a similar event uh, a go the next time it comes up. It, it did look pretty exciting, and it, I would have liked to have seen how the tactical battle with Sato and stuff, and and how all that drafting. You know, I, I know that is real racing. I just can't imagine it in my head because I've not given it a proper go, but I will. Definitely, you know, IndyCar is, is definitely, you know, something that you would watch over Monaco as a TV spectacle. I don't think the two are quite comparable, but I do definitely think that Fernando Alonso will be back next year. Maybe even, you know, ditch F1 for to do a full season of IndyCar wouldn't surprise me. Uh, and one thing I, no- I noticed as well in the weekend is uh, during that race is I've very very rarely seen the the entirety of the motorsport community just join together in this one moment this one race uh to watch fernando alonso really it's 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 something to see fair enough all right let's bring this home with the podium and what a podium it was i'm just i'm joking that was devastatingly dire i can't you know i'm not a rosberg fan. i'm not trying to hate on him but just maybe the lad's not like naturally a presenter matt i uh, sorry you caught me by surprise i was thinking it was fantastic sato won honda actually did get the victory anyway despite no. the blown up engines this podium and- i'm afraid 
could you even call it a podium? I mean, what was that exactly? It was weird. It was weird and it was cringy and fair play to Rosberg. I think that's that is about as well as he could have delivered it. Uh, I think he was relying heavily on the earpiece in his ear. Uh, but okay, fine. Invite the Formula One champion to come and speak. Uh, but yeah, not in a well, I mean, hurry what, to rebook him. They were, they were chasing drivers around. Nobody knew where to go. I mean, it's, it's like the, it's like the person in charge had a sudden attack of food poisoning. <laughs> yeah, because there was Rick, nobody left to R- tell them what to do. Ricciardo got there like a good minute first, and he stood next to Rosberg trying to chat with him. And Nico's like, no. This is not the procedure. We will wait for Sebastian to arrive. And then they just stood there. <laughs> the camera flicked away and waited for Vettel to get there. Yeah, that didn't really go well at all. Uh, but hey, let's nominate our thing of the weekend, Goldie. Who's your thing of the weekend, the whole weekend? I think um, Raikkonen's attitude after getting second in the race just literally was not interested in speaking to anybody. If you saw the actual handshakes between himself and Vettel and Arriva Benny, it was not well-mannered in any way, shape or form because the look on his face, I think the thousand yards stare and a bit of thunder for good measure from uh, the Iceman himself. I I think for the leaders that there are too many mistakes for one of them to be my thing of the weekend. So for me, it's got to be once again, Carlos Sainz. No, that's a great shout. That's a great shout. Uh, Trumpets, who's your thing of the weekend? Well, it was going to be Carlos Sainz until uh-huh. Stephen stole it from me. So instead, I, I will, I will go, I will go with the Haas team double point finish first time in their very short career. Yeah, it's a good effort. It's a good effort. I will give it to Jensen Button, somebody who I am not generally a fan of and I don't go mad for. But I think he showed some guts. At least he did something. He didn't just give up and follow the procession home. So he's my thing of the weekend, Jensen Button. But that's not the one people are interested in. People are interested in the negative one. Matt, so that Chris doesn't steal yours, who missed the apex for you? Hang on, I think I've got a bumper. Oh, no, you missed the apex. Right, so I'm actually going to sneak in three because I'm tempted to say the whole of Formula One when compared to the Indy 500. But that's not really fair because we're talking in the Formula One universe. So I I won't go there. Um, You could say Pirelli and you wouldn't be wrong. But I'm going to go with the stewards for the following reason. Because they gave Button a penalty. Yes, I agree. Because they issued Verline only a five second stop, only a five second time penalty in a race with a single pit stop and doomed Button to trail behind him for the other 77 laps. Now, look, if you miss a chicane and you gain an advantage, what do you have to do? Give it up, baby. the position back. They should have demanded that Veriline give the position to Button, and then, well, you know, then we wouldn't have had the safety car for that reason, but probably for some other fun reason instead. Goldie, who missed the apex, buddy? Um, Tough one on this. Um... I think it's probably Pascal Verline trying to get out of his car when he actually ended up sideways. Uh, that, oh, was, that was the uh, who missed the apex this week when his engineer went, you're right, Pascal. He said, yes, I would be if I could actually get out. I feel bad. And related to that, missed the apex. Everybody who, when they wanted to make a joke about that instant later, had to caveat with it with saying, I'm just glad you're all right, Pascal. Yes, yeah, all right. We know he's all right. You're allowed to have a joke about it now. That that was a insanely comical you know, in the context of him being okay. And I am just glad he's all right. Damn, 
I just did it too. Never mind. Chris Stevens, who missed the apex for you? Force India. M- massive missed opportunity. A good point, point all there. And can you guess who my missed apex award is going to go to, Chris? You're not going to give it to Lewis, are you? He, th- th- one of the drivers crashed, overtaking the safety car. Unloving himself from this safety car, <laughs> you ridiculous boy! It wasn't gonna, even in the race. To Ericsson, if you're going to give it to us, at least give it to Van Dorn as well, because they both did literally miss the apex. But it's like, okay, guys, you can overtake the safety car, so we can get stuck. Uh, so somebody, somebody crashed overtaking the safety car. Who, who was it? Right. Okay. Carry on. What comments? Uh, what awards have we not yet given out? Oh, this one. Daddy, I want a pony. And I want it now. Matt, you always do the best pony awards. Who gets it for you? Oh, it's so hard. Because it's not really technically a pony. But I have to go with Stroll on the radio during the safety <laughs> No, no, car. that's valid. No, that is fine. It's, I absolutely it's not love like that. I want a pony. It's more like, Daddy, would you come please tie my shoes and pull my pants up for me? <laughs> it, honestly, at Williams, they should just give him a whistle and say, look, if anything F1 related happens, blow this whistle and, and, uh, and, and Anthony Davidson will come and help you. That's what they should do. Like, that is an insane amount of advice to be asking for under the safety car. Like, what do you reckon? Does he just not take it in? Or surely even rookies know that stuff. He's 18. He's skipped GP, or I guess now F2 entirely. And and look, you know, he might wind up being a decent driver, but currently he's just entirely out of his depth. And I think he's overwhelmed. And pressure at that level... I mean, you know, I'm as old as I am. and I'll be honest. Like, I don't know how those guys put up with that pressure weekend and week out. You just have to be really, really strong. And at age 18, very, very few people are that strong. Any ponies from Goldie and Stevens? Yes, there is. Um, Max Verstappen's foul-mouthed terrain after his pit stop. He wasn't happy. Going down the Lowe's hairpin. Um, Yeah. After his pit stop, uh, he had a few choice words which were bleeped out, and the words Mm-mm, followed by disaster uh, in quick succession. So, yeah, Max was not a happy Max. There was a similar one for Sergio Perez as well after he uh, clanged with Kvyat. He said, to, Don't talk to me while I'm trying to try. And that kind of reminds me of um, Bottas saying, Right, for the next few laps, I want less talking at Sochi. Well, Lewis has done it plenty of times. Nurburgring in 2011 being the standout one for me. And I don't have a Pony Award this weekend because I think they all behaved impeccably, except for Kimi Raikkonen with that explosive display of emotions in the post-race interviews. Yes, well, obviously I wanted to win the race, but I did not win the race. Unbelievable. Shocking. Kids listen to that. Let's move on to Comment of the Week. Comment of the Week. Ooh, and, and they've been keeping me busy. It's very hard to, to monitor the chat room and actually do anything else on this show. But I have been trying, and I have a few. Patrick Green, in with a shout, I think Pirelli should have brought a new compound called, quote, How is this not soft enough, you idiots? Um, <laughs> I think we also had one, and, and I think Evangelos Heteroclitos, it pains me to say it, buttons fall. With wide cars comes great responsibility. 
I blew that entirely. And also in the same commenter, when we were playing Who's to Blame, he said, let's blame Earth's atmosphere for not being thick enough. And finally, Brian Brink suggesting that we rename the safety car the unsafety car. And at the end of it all, I'm going to say it's Evangelos Heraclitos. It pains me to say it. Button's fault. With wide cars comes great responsibility. Has to be comment of the week. Comment of the week. Thanks very much, guys. We're going to get out of here. Please consider supporting the show and following it, all of us at Spanners Ready at MattPT55. Goldie, I forgot yours. Tell me it. Uh, uh, Alex G underscore uh alex underscore g 1977 you see you got it bad enough with vatum i can't even remember my own twitter handle now at chris stevens underscore journo is where you'll find him at c stevens underscore journo whatever it's got an underscore it's pointless until next time in fact when i say until next time we're handing over the reins to chris stevens next sunday he's going to deliver you some f1 news because i'm on holiday in lanzarote in it stunning up i will be listening into the live stream if I'm allowed, he'll be joined by Matt PT55 and some of our other fine panelists to take you through the pre-race on Sunday. On Thursday, you can catch up with me and Matt on sportsbookreview.com. We're going to lay out the odds and tell you where you should be putting your money for the Canadian Grand Prix. And as well, coming up midweek around Thursday is going to be Inside F1 with Joe Saywood. So please stay tuned to the feed and remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars and glory last forever. This was Missed Apex. Oh, wow. Chat room was off the hook, Matt. How did you keep up with any of that? It was actually very, very difficult to deliver all that content and try and keep up. I just scanned as quickly as I could when I had time. Well, according to the chat room, you are the podcast. Don't know how Hispanics would manage without you. Oh, I'm just basking in your reflected glory trumpets. Don't worry about me. You know, I'm just jamming at all these buttons that basically do nothing. Running a live stream from my from my shed. No, it's fine. Oh, no, Matt does everything with his snark, with his American snark that you value so highly. Chat room. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.